Good morning. Good morning. Our producer, Jack Kerouac, is actually standing on my desk this morning. Jackie. He's checking out all the cables by wiping his, brushing his little cheeks up against the microphone. Everything looking good, Jack? All right. Hi. Hi. Um, yeah. Yes. So, a couple of days ago, my hair, my, you know, with long hair. So, it's nice to grow your hair out long, but it it gets to a point where long is long and longer Mm -hmm. isn't appreciably nicer than the length that it is right now. Right. So once it gets past the nipple line, it's just long. And I didn't have time to go to the hairdresser. I didn't feel like shelling out hundreds of bucks (laughs) to have someone snip up my hair. So I just had you cut it for me. And there are ways, there are little tutorials online well, there's, you know, thousands of them that show you how you can <clears throat> cut layers into your hair with a, you know, a ponytail rubber band and a single snip. So we did that. Well, but I think the idea is, I understand it, is that, so the layers are already there. And all you're going to do is maintain the same basic shape, but just take off, you know, a couple inches. And because somebody had already done the hard work uh, to put the layers in there, all I had to do was snip straight across on the one side of a ponytail holder. Right? That's right. So yep. we cut my hair ourselves. I would have to say that my hair now looks like I cut it myself. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It's not um, anything a couple of well-placed bobby, pa- bobby pins can't modify. So we're going to go with it. Why don't you just go to the salon? Do you because Michael, it cost me like three hundred euros. Well, that's ridiculous. It doesn't have to do that. You can go to a barbershop for much. Yeah, but less this was that. free. Oh, I look. Or I a love scrappy Breed. startup. I I, I I love free. Don't get me wrong, but uh, yeah, and I'm I'm happy to do it. But uh, obviously, I'm not uh, skilled there. Um. So yeah, if if you're okay with them. Um, I don't think it looks bad. I don't know about such things, but I think it looks fine. The other thing that I th- I've been toying with for such a long time is giving away all of my nail polish. So, I like I like the look of the nail polish. I've noticed that women who always have their nails done do this thing, I think subconsciously with their hands because you know, we women, we like to talk with our hands, but they turn their hands into sort of like claw shape. And women who don't have their nails polished don't do that their hands their gestures look softer also probably not great for the environment no polish wouldn't have thought so so i'm thinking that i will give away most of my nail polish and maybe just hang on to i don't know one one or two or maybe maybe i'll just hang on to it forever and never use it i'm I'm thinking that maybe no nail polish may be a part of my personal brand. Interesting. I'm working through it right now. Interesting. Um, <clears throat> wait, can we go back for just a second here? So uh, when we were growing up, the, the go-to for um, 
long hair was um, Crystal Gale. And later in life, the go-to for short hair would, I don't know, I guess be like Sinead O'Connor or something. But do you think that, do the kids now, is there anyone that they have in mind when somebody talks about extraordinarily long hair? I don't think so because everybody's hair looks exactly the same now. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, like the the Victoria's Secret parted down the middle and wavy on the sides hasn't changed in a really long time. Right. And now people are just putting hair extensions in their hair to get that look. Because the Victoria's Secret look is mostly about hair. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just people don't know what to do with their hair anymore. So <laughs> it's all been done. It's all been done. All right. Well, so we need like Westwood and McLaren again to shake things up, whatever yes. the equivalent is. There's no shaking up. There's, There's no nothing shaking up. left that we can do to our bodies. We can't pierce anymore. We can't mm. c- dye or color or shave or tattoo anymore. The only thing left to fuck with is gender, I think. <laughs> All right. So that's that's what the kids are doing now. It's fine. As you know. Well, yeah. Let's let's um. <laughs> we pulled the pin out of that grenade. Now we're going to gently walk time. away from it. I wanted to talk to you today first about this, uh, the craze that's sweeping the nation here in the Netherlands, mm-hmm. which is the Krampus. Now, Michael, can you explain to Jack Kerouac uh, what, a, what the Krampus is? I will try Um so it is a celebratory food. Uh, I think it's basically maybe meal we should of, start with what the tompus is. <clears throat> yes, well, sorry, I was, was going to go back to tompus in order to give uh, a foundation for uh, krompus. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I don't know why it's pronounced that way, other than possibly as a pun. Uh, I don't know why it's not pronounced uh, tompausa. Mm. Um. But uh, I guess maybe the Dutch call their male cats toms also, uh, because then P O U. Oh no, that's Kater. Kater is a tomcat. Oh, is a cat? Kater is a hangover, isn't it? It's double meaning. Okay. All right. So, but yes. Anyway, uh, what they call uh, tompus. Uh, yeah, right there. Mm-hmm. Keep There's going. No media. Um, I think it's basically supposed to be um, what do they call it? Thousand mill of flu, whatever the. Mif- yeah, the, I'm the, looking up right now. Is what you're hearing? I'm looking thousands, up right now how to uh, spell it. Yeah, how the, to pronounce that word? Well, no, Ivana says uh, tompus, so I no, think no, no, it no, is. No, but the other one that you just said, the French one, I don't yeah, dare say thousand that loud leaves until, things. Um, so, so the the, the thin uh, sheets of pastry, mm. then you have the custard uh, between the layers. And then you've got some uh, icing on top. Um, <clears throat> the Dutch do it for um, King's Day. You, the icing on top is going to be orange. Um, or, you know, if, at other times of the year, you would have like pink uh, icing on top. So potentially tasty, you know, those um, custardy desserts with the, the, the little crunch uh, from, the, from the pastry um, can be nice. Um, of course, they don't have a very long, you know, shelf life, so to speak. They, they, you know, obviously if the custard sits too long, it's just going to sog into the pastry. So you don't want that. You want the contrast. So great in a restaurant, not so great on a grocery store shelf, which is of course where most people buy their tompus. I made it one year for a couple years ago for uh, King's Day. 
Um, and it, it, it was, was fine. delicious. You well, did it, a great it, job. It's fine. Well, a custard, you can't go wrong with custard. Anyway, so Tompus, there's your basic um, celebratory uh, little snoopia. Um, a couple years ago, as it's now being claimed, there was a baker in the Netherlands who <clears throat> started in with Tompus. So instead of, uh, yeah, so T-O-M would be how the normal word is spelled. This is C-R-O-M. Uh, Krompus, the difference being from Tompus, is that it's basically uh, a croissant. So then you, um, I guess, pipe or maybe just uh, cut the croissant down the middle and slap some custard in there and then put the icing on top of the, the croissant. So you have Krompus instead. It started sweeping the nation uh, a couple months ago. So now all your major grocery stores are stocking Krompus. And... Naturally, now the baker who says that uh, she was doing it a couple years ago is claiming trademark. And I think uh, one of the news uh, pieces that I saw said that she's claiming uh, copyright uh, in it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so now she's trying to get license deals if anybody wants to sell Chrome Puss. So they could just name it something else and then there wouldn't be a trademark issue. And the idea that there's copyright in the recipe, there's very, very thin copyright in things like that. So if she had a cookbook um, that had the Krompus recipe in there, then, um, you know, she would be able to prevent people uh, from infringing that copyright. But, you know, you can't really protect a combination of ingredients. I mean, this is just extraordinary. It is precisely on time. Every time. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's it's Mia Filia Filia. It means a thousand sheets or a thousand layers. It is an absolutely delectable French pastry. And the best ones, the layers of pastry, are almost just a whisper right up to the edge of being... Like not burned, but like overcooked, because yep. you get that tiny, teensy little bit of bitterness in there. Yeah, it is a level of precision that the Dutch are simply incapable of. So and, and sufficient crisp to and play off crisp. of. Custard. So the tampus is the yep. version of that. Yep. Also, the Dutch don't have any. Um, they don't have any sense of icing or frosting, so they have glaze, which is just sugar water, like a. Um, uh, like royal, icing. royal icing. They understand yeah, royal icing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they don't call it royal icing. They call it glaze because there's just glaze. That's yeah. it. That there isn't anything else. Or, or whipped cream. Right. So right. they don't. They right. don't have an understanding of frosting or icing or you know buttercream. Buttercream is not. No, that's not. In yeah. This culture. Yeah. Uh, and then they have their their tampus. So that's their version of the milifilie. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, now, as Michael just explained, there's this explosion of controversy around the Krompus, which is a mass-produced gross croissant with custard shoved in it. And then it's drowning disgustingly in the classic pink uh, Tompus icing to the extent yeah. that it looks like it looks like pink slime. It the the color is so unappealing. It looks like icing made out of Pepto Bismol or <sighs> diluted hamburger blood or something. I mean, I find it so gross. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And so indeed, this swings back to something that people probably aren't connecting the dots to. I have. Yes. Is that Dutch food trends are precisely almost to the day, 10 to 20 years behind food trends in America. <laughs> to the day precision <laughs> with the it's 10 years. It's either 10 swing. years or it's 20 years. Okay, okay, gotcha. Whether it's gourmet hamburgers or kombucha or gourmet cupcakes. It, it, it takes te- a minimum of 10 years for the Dutch to, to, to latch onto these trends. But once it hits the Dutch market, sweeps the nation. These people are not early adopters, but they're fast adopters. Yeah. So once they think that the risk has been eliminated, they will adopt whatever the trend is or the new technology overnight. Yeah. No different with the Krampus so the Krampus is exactly 10 years behind the American phenomenon of the cronut, which is a cross-pollination of a croissant and a donut. I've never had one. I, I've heard of the cronut, but no, I don't think I've ever had one either. And so it was, it's so croissant texture, is that the idea? In yeah, the shape I think of it's a like donut? a deep fried, crispy. Oh, it's actually fried. Okay. Well, like a donut, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is almost at the end of 2023. 2023 was the, I'm reading this off of Eater. 2013 may have been the year of the cronut, but 2014 uh, may well be the year of the cronut trademark. As of January 14, mm. the term cronut is, is an official registered trademark. Belonging to inventor Dominique Ansel and his bakery. I mean, it's. I mean, it is with Perfect, with, yeah. with 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 uh, um, uh, celestial precision. <laughs> they are ten. It's either ten or twenty years behind right, the right. Uh, the American um, culinary trends. Crazy. Yeah. Um. And I guess. Uh, so from a, you know, kind of trademark perspective, you know, which is about consumers uh, being informed, you know, that's essentially the, the thinking behind trademark. Um, one of the things that's being floated for uh, Krompus or some of the uh, competitors, um, now that the the name Krompus is being contested, is, you know, they call it things like uh, Rosapus, so, you know, for the for the pink, pink icing. Pink pus, yeah. Pus, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and so I guess, you know, ultimately the question has to be how many people buy something that looks like a chrome pus because it's called chrome pus, because that's all that trademark is going to get you. If whatever, I don't know how the cronut thing came out, if the trademark was granted and if people are still, uh, you know, selling cronuts under the cronut trade name, the bottom line is that you could still sell something exactly the same as a cronut and just not call it a cronut. So how many people buy it because it's a cronut? I think it's very different than saying um, whatever, people buy a Big Mac because it is a Big Mac, but of course they only do that at McDonald's. But do people buy, you know, two all beef patties with special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions, on a sesame seed bun, under different circumstances, 
Or did they just not buy it because it's not called a Big Mac? I, I strongly suspect that not many people are going to change their Chrome Poos consumption habits just because it's not called Chrome Poos. Well, we can view the trademark filing or the trademark ap application for the um, Cronut. Cronut on yep. Scribd, actually. So here it is. I mean, it's just this, is this like, for a U.S. trademark? Inc or? Yeah, incredible, yep. efficient, official-looking document with the yep. fancy text "United States of America, United States Patent and Trademark Office," and then it says "Cronut." Yep. God bless America. Yeah. No. Principal register. Goodness. Well, and also, uh, I'm reminded by this that the way some people spell donut yeah. is not so I, that that could also be trademarked the mm. d-o-n-u-t um i don't know if anybody has done that script is an underappreciated app scribd um now will it um read things for you or just it throws up pdfs right yeah it throws up pdfs yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i pretty much hate the pdf but i guess it's important Okay. In other headline news, another Sam bites the dust. That is a stretch. Sam Bankman Freed going down. Now, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI. Okay. AKA ChatGPT. Very vague, but apparently the board has fired him for incompetence or saying things publicly that they didn't like or were, according to them, inaccurate. Right. He's out. The CTO of this company is a woman. Her name is Mira Marati. Mm -hmm. She is now the interim CEO. I don't know why they wouldn't just make her the CEO. But, you know, Sam does all the podcast circuits and... Sam yeah. Altman does. Yeah. Okay. The young go-getter who spewing truth, philosophy, and cautionary tales around uh, about around um, ChatGPT right. and artificial intelligence. Wouldn't it have been so much more interesting to have Mira sitting behind the mic the entire time? Because the guy at, with the CEO title might not always be the most interesting one to talk right. to. I mean, listen to our podcast. You know, everything that I say is just, you know, fluff and uh, ephemera and nonsense. And then you like rock up on the back end with the with the substrate. I, I, I got no rocking. Of your education, your fact, the facts that you, you know, res that reside in your head that are fully cataloged in there. Effectinista. No, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't know how we've gotten to the point where there's just, we have a tendency to think, I guess, whoever's producing and or booking these types of uh, uh, programs and content um, just says, well, this is just sort of, you know, who you talk to. I mean, I'm reminded of the, um, I guess it's Peter Schaefer, right? But the, who wouldn't... Uh, which he wouldn't rather listen to his hairdresser than, than Hercules. I mean, there, there's plenty of uh, stories out there. Um, but, 
you know, I think the Hercules is generally more interesting to, to hear from uh, the, than his hairdresser. But there are many different types of uh, Hercules uh, out there. And um, I suspect, you know, if she is a um, woman at a tech company, that's <laughs> relatively rare in, in many cases. So I think that that, that uh, is it, itself an interesting perspective. Um, she said, you said she was the CTO and now she's interim CEO. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so yeah, so you know, if if that T has a tremendous amount of meaning, um, certainly I would imagine that most people think of ChatGPT as primarily an interesting technology. Um, and again, this is just stereotypes. I don't know in this particular instance, but if you think of CEOs as kind of you know the the puffery uh, business person who's uh, just out there on the front line in order to attract investment and or to put a sort of PR. Uh, look on the company that they find favorable um, the CTO in a hard tech company is, is probably much more interesting to listen to so yeah I think that's speaking for myself I think that the CEO has an easier job than anyone else in the C-suite they're the visionary mm. they are guiding the direction of the company they're the mouthpiece yep. but the running of the business building of the business the building of the vision well that's not the CEO's job Yeah, I mean, it's, I suppose... At least not after a ev- while, once in, you get out of startup phase. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, and then you have uh, the old, um, you know, the acting. See, so, like, there's certainly any number of stories about uh, young people with idea, whatever, they get some funding, but they don't actually know how to run a company. So that's when you bring in the Stephen Tobolowsky type, you know, the, the act uh, acting CEO or that sort of thing. It's like, okay... I don't know anything about your company, but I know how to run a business. So get out of the way and, and let me run the business, which is interesting about, you know, just the idea that that is in itself a discipline independent of any domain specific uh, information, I think is curious. Mm-hmm. So. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to uh, whatever her name is. It her name is Mira, Mira Marati. That's right, Mira Marati. I'll listen to her and the other fellow. What's his name? Altman? Sam Altman. Yes, all right. I would like to think that he was actually, this whole dust-up has been engineered by ChatGPT. So it would be Ooh. cool if he was fired by the AI because oh. the AI wanted a piece of the action and he wasn't willing to cut it in. So. Yeah. What if the whole board is just AIs? And they said, you're out. It's the beginning of the end. It soon will be out. It's the beginning of the end. Um, And then finally, I would like to discuss with you the concept of victory versus achievement. Ooh, all right. Something that I popped into my mind the other day. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason it popped into my mind is because in our neighborhood, which is a little dike, and so for those who don't live in the Netherlands, a dike is basically a drainage ditch or a small canal that is dug out of the land and then it automatically fills with water in a way to route and channel the water to create new 
arable land. Well, the the, the dike is the the land strip. The dike is the, the land the strip. The polder is the, polder the other is the side. Water. Yes, the, yeah, thank you yeah, for that yeah, clarification. Yeah. So we live on a dike, and on the west side of our dike is the the canal, the channel, and on the east east northeast side is a lake, and the lake is also you can kind of think of it as like a giant pole polder pull there because yep. it was this huge landmass that was dug out and the land the dirt was transferred to build the northern end of the ring or the bypass the A10 the A10 that goes around the city of Amsterdam and since then this water this little lake this mare called the Norder Eiplas um has become a bird sanctuary uh, a nature park, a naturgebied. Uh, people can go walking there with their dogs, enjoy the woods, enjoy the waterfowl, mm-hmm. enjoy the, uh, what's the word for predatory birds, like eagles and hawks and stuff? Uh, raptors. Raptors, a little woodland rodents and creatures. Marvin has sure. harvested a hare or two. He has indeed. He's a big fan. It's a lovely place to live. Well, because uh, it's a fairly decent-sized body of water by Dutch standards. Because the curious thing, you know, if you look at the Netherlands, like on whatever, um, uh, you know, Google Maps or something, uh, there's a great deal of water, but it's all in little strips and channels. So actual bodies of water, like, you know, Minnesota-esque, you know, lakes... There aren't that many in the Netherlands. So the Norderheidplatz is actually a decent-sized little decent body of water. Lake. Yeah. And it, you can see all the way down to the bottom of it. It's very clean. It's very well circulated. It's just it's just great. It's the Dutch at their best. You know, Dutch creating land, manipulating the swampy yep. outpost in northwest Europe and turning it into something that, that everyone can enjoy. Yep. Therefore... Much to our neighborhood's horror, there is a private co-op company called NASM Energy that put in a petition for a permit to put wind turbines on the opposite side of the lake from where we live. Now, we need to explain what a co-op is. So it's a for-profit company. But it's a co-op, so the ownership of the company is shared among all of the investors. So if you're an investor, you're an owner, but it's for profit, Yep. point number one. Point number two, this private for-profit company was enjoying the support of a political party. Well, there's more than one, but I'm going to call out one because a political party that it enjoyed the support of is called GroenLinks, which is means Green Links. So it's supposed to be the Green Left. Yeah. Oh yeah, Green Left. It's supposed to be like the Liberal Sustainability Party. Yep. Sustainability is this party's platform. Yep. But it's still a political party. So all these past years, I say over three years, this political coalition with a private company or part loose partnership allegiance alliance i'll say it was an alliance between a private for-profit company and a political party were making quite powerful strong progress 
into getting the permit to install these wind turbines on the other side of our lake. Now, the wind turbines are 200 meters tall. And I'm trying to think of a way for people to visualize how tall that is. So that's maybe like like a 20-story building or... Uh, well, so, I mean, it, you basically, what, you're about 650 feet or so there or something like that, right? It's about yeah, 39 inches per meter or somewhere feet. in there. What's that? Yeah. Very, very, very tall. If you're listening to this, Jack Kerouac, and you live in Amsterdam, these wind turbines are twice as tall as the Amsterdam lookout, which used to be the Adam Torin, which is the building opposite of Central Station, opposite of the eye that's got those red swings that you can swing out um, over the top of the building. The old shell building. Restaurants. Yes. Yeah, the old shell building. Very, very tall. Three it's not a them. tall structure by metropolitan, you know, no. world metropolitan standards, but for the Netherlands, but it's <laughs> where everything is at ground not level. not something yeah. you would want in your backyard. For the following reasons. One, wind shadow. So the blades are so close to our house and would become in between, for the first half of the day, in between our house and the sun, you get this wind shadow where when the blade comes between your house and the sun, it creates this like split second shadow in your house. Basically, you could think of it as a very slow strobe light. All day, most of the day long, as soon as, the, as the, I would say, like at least the first six to eight hours. Yeah, because uh, these are uh, three bladers. Three bladers. And so they're relatively, you know, they're, they're the, of the basic, you know, wind turbine design. It's, it's not the fast, small two bladers. It's the slow, very long sailed uh, three bladers. Yes. You have a strobe light coming into your house for several hours a day when the sun's out. Now, granted, the sun isn't out all that often in the Netherlands, but imagine having to wake up every morning wondering if you're going to get hours and hours of strobe light effect in your house. You know, the, the mental yep. distraction and distress that would cause. Second is the noise. So if you've ever been close to one of these wind turbines, those engines make a powerful noise, constant noise. The whirring. Yes. So, yep. the third problem are significant health problems being so close to a structure that tall with that noise pollution. No one is talking enough about noise pollution. Noise pollution can kill. It, it really, really can. It can cause stress levels that elevate your heart rate, your blood pressure, and um, can be very detrimental to one's health. There you go. Okay. The other thing that people don't really think about when they think about windmills, wind turbines, you not only need to look up, you need to look down. Because the platform that these things sit on are like huge, like 14 square meters. Well, there's a couple different technologies that, that uh, from what I understand, that you use for foundations, and of course, that's you know different for the offshore stuff. Um, of course, the Netherlands 
in general because there's so little bedrock. It's almost uh, like building offshore farms even on land here. And you're basically just on little sand and mud anyway. Um, but yeah, the, the, you have to sink pretty substantial foundations uh, for 200 meter sails. Yeah. Yeah. For three of these things. Yes. So the entire woodland area would be decimated and replaced with industrial equipment, mud, probably contaminating the water. It would just it would just be a construction, a muddy, gross, barren construction zone. No, there's no way of getting around it. I don't even know how they would get these things into that area. They're too big to helicopter in. You would they would probably have to create their own road or their own access from the Norder Eye just to haul these things, these behemoths, these, I call them um, wind, they're not windmills, they're wind monsters, these wind monsters into this area. I mean, it's ridiculous. Well, I've, I've seen the flatbeds that they, uh, you know, transport the sails on. Yeah, they're, they're huge. They're and, huge. You know, of course, when you see those things on the ground, yeah, you realize how long those blades are. Um, apparently, though, there is, by the way, now a company, I think, that has some means of uh, recycling the blades because that's, you know, traditionally been one of the criticisms of them. They're um, not sustainable because there's nothing to do with the blades right now. But maybe somebody's cracked that uh, problem. But anyway, that's, yeah. that's aside. So aside and then the final thing is that not only are these things incredibly close, dangerously close, lethally close to our homes, also, you could the same could be said for how close they are to the highway. I mean, these things go down. They catch on fire. They fall over. They fail. They leak oil. They're machinery. At some big, point, one of them's going to have yep. need significant repairs. Anyway, and then the, the final thing is that these these three wind turbines were, uh, it, it, you know, the claim was that they would provide um, year long energy for twenty thousand houses. So that might sound like a lot until you realize again, a for profit co op company. All they're doing is tapping into or hooking onto a European-wide uh, electrical grid. So it's not like this local thing where, oh, but all the 20,000 homes within you know, a 10-kilometer area will get free energies. No, 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 no. It's just, it's just part of a much, much, much bigger yeah. network. It's just one company trying to make some money, um, tapping into this grid, and destroying the lives of everyone around this thing. And I mean destroying. So if these if these wind turbines went up, we would have had we would have to move. So the NDSM Energy Company and their best friends Hrunlinks really went above and beyond to try and change this reality story. I'm not using the N word narrative. They created little AI or not AIs, but like virtual realities where you could put the virtual reality sure. glasses on and you could you know, hear how quiet they are. And you could see how lovely they are. And you could see that the wind shadow is only going to be one hour a year, which is ridiculous. They never talk about the destruction on the ground. And that's the first thing that everybody was seeing. So the winds were not, pardon the pun, were not blowing in our favor. But our little street is organized and committed and we're united in the fact that we live in a very special place that's worth fighting for. And so... There were, I say, a core team of two people with an, two to three people with an extension of uh, others in the neighborhood that were tangentially quite involved, fighting and fighting and fighting to 
uh, disallow these windmills to be installed in our backyards. To block the granting of the permit in the first case. To block the granting of the permit. And it wasn't looking good for us. And we filed, we even filed lawsuits. I mean, the, you know, the, the all weeks, when I say we, I mean the leaders of this initiative, yeah. our group, our leaders, examined every single facet that they could to fight this, including building relationships with other leaders and other political parties. Many of these parties are parties that we normally wouldn't align align with on other issues. The conservative parties, not all, but some, invited these you know local or regional politicians into their home so that they could see for themselves what would happen if these wind turbines went up. Really involving them in what we were facing, and finally had a little tiny trick up their sleeve where they realized that the people applying for the permit thought that they had the permit in the bag, but all they had was the very first step, which is we are giving you a permission to apply for the permit, but the permit had not been granted yet. Which typically would be a foregone conclusion. So it's just once you start the process, then you're a shoe in but that's... And now it comes into this like politically strategic filibustering sort of solution. So all of the um, regional representatives or councilmen and councilwomen for the province of Nord Holland, which is like a state um, you could think of. Yes. Um, a province is a state. Yeah. Because that's who actually issues the permit. So they, the, the yeah. permit does not come from the central government, from the national government. The national government has targets that it's compelled to try and achieve based somewhat on European standards and somewhat on national law, but naturally these things have to exist somewhere. So they still require the provinces to sign off on those. And that's, you know, an interesting sort of back and forth between the, uh, where the power lies and who can actually, um, force some sort of result. But, uh, but yeah, that, that's a more complicated issue. So it comes up to the day of voting no one on the street is feeling great about this. So we all are assuming, you know, we're going to lose this, but we filed our lawsuit. So the next thing we have to do is like get the lawsuit involved and like drag this out. Except, and he couldn't tell that he couldn't share this with any of us because he needed to keep this a secret so that the opposition wouldn't get hep to it. This little permit loophole snag issue in his back pocket. So our, our neighborhood leaders were in the room as the voting is happening. And so each councilman or councilwoman, they get up, they get to say um, their sort of their side of the story or their point of view or their opinion as to why the, the reasoning behind why they're making the vote that they are making. Yep. And as the votes are coming in, the votes in favor of us of denying the permission for the windmills is are starting to come in and we're ahead and we stay ahead. And then the voting is done and we've won. And none of us could believe it. We're all looking around going, did this actually happen? Oh, my God. Yep. When does this ever, ever happen when the little guy won? And it was such a shock because we were so we've been living in this like, you know, mid-level current of despair and in, injustice and, um, and, you know, feeling, you know, indignant and victimized and bowled over 
that it all just went away. And the day that the vote happened, I, you know, I was taking the dogs for a walk and I'm like, I don't quite know what to do with myself now because we could kind of start planning for the rest of our lives here as opposed to worrying if we're going to have to move or tying ourselves to yep. a tree when they come to cut them down to put the windmills in. Like that's <laughs> what, like what, what's next in my mind was continuing the fight, right. not that the fight was over. And this is what I wanted to talk about. First of all, this is, I mean, this is like a courtroom drama where you can imagine if everybody was in the courtroom up, you know, the little guys who never get to win and we win and everybody, you know, bangs their fists on the tables and goes, ah, like, that's what this feels like. And we had a little party last night to celebrate and it was wonderful. Um, but this was victory. And victory feels different to me than achievement. So going back to running a small business or a startup, you get you get a lot of messages coming at you saying, oh, it's really important for you to celebrate your achievements, celebrate your milestones. Mm-hmm. But every time we achieve a milestone, I, I don't feel like it's something worth uh, celebrating in the same way. So I'm like, well, it's work to be done and we achieved a goal. So we did our job and now we just move on. Right. I, I know I'm not supposed to feel that way, but that's just the way that I feel. But... But with a victory, this is something that in me, that energy in me, where I just wanted to like jump up and down and yell and scream. Right. You did. And I did. So there's a distinction, I think, to be made on victory versus achievement. Like, you know, you support your favorite sports team and they won that day. That's a victory. That's not an achievement. And you get excited about it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think the uh, distinction is um, interesting and it's, you know, just to compare to uh, sports, you, you can certainly have that, that sort of thing where, you know, there is always going to be a whatever uh, victor in the uh, Super Bowl or something. Uh, but there are many Super Bowls themselves, which are relatively non-competitive, <laughs> you know, huge blowouts. So they're not always achievements. There will always be a victory, but not necessarily an achievement and of course uh, vice versa and also this is probably not the end of the story so i'm not sure this is certainly victory with respect to this particular permit but i don't think this this is the end yeah 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 i mean i'm talking about like the feeling yeah and so when i when i when i achieve an achievement uh we've worked really hard for something and we've you know crossed the finish line there the feeling that I feel is relief. Mm-hmm. Whew, let's just take a little break. Let's let's calm down. Let's regroup. Let's yep. re-energize. But <coughs> victory feels like euphoria. Interesting. Yeah. Because let's say we land some big giant client that we've been working on signing a deal with for a year and we sign with them. Well, that's just, to me, that's just the beginning of the story. So now it's like, okay, well, now we got to get to work for these guys. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Again, achievement. So it's, it never ends. But victory, I guess it has something more finite to it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, th- I think that's, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. It's, mm. it's because that particular chapter is, is concluded. Um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, issues in there. And um, it's difficult because, of course, this is a, a small community, you know, around 60 families or so. Uh, we are outsiders. Uh, you know, and so I think it's important to 
try and demonstrate that we are part of the community. Um, Do you mean our community are outsiders or you and I are outsiders? Well, both. Yeah. Um, I don't think we're outsiders. We personally are. We're just expat spice. I don't feel like I'm an outsider in this community at all. We we are outsiders. We'll always be. We're Um, foreigners, but we're not outsiders. We're part of this community. We we try and be. We are. um, Look, I often have... There uh, are Dutch people that live on the street that are far more outsiders than we are, that never participate in in the community. They just kind of hermetic. And that's fine. That's super cool. I right, but I just them, think that that's your own personal insecurity coming out because you're not fluent. Well, it, Dutch. it's just objective fact. We'll no, it's not be, objective fact. It, In fact, it, it I think is. that that's totally wrong. Okay, well, we are. Outsiders, we are a part of this community. We can be a part of this community. We'll never be as much a part of the community as someone who's lived on the street their whole life, or indeed somebody who's just Dutch. It's just all there's to it. I disagree. It, it's quite a closed society, actually. I disagree. But anyway. Um, I think I feel very welcomed by the people on the street. I didn't say I didn't feel welcome. Well, then we're a part of the community. If you feel welcome at arm's length, uh, that's fine. Um, mm, okay. But in any case, I don't feel as strongly about this issue as many of our neighbors do. Or as I uh, do. Well, uh, I feel on your behalf, I, I do, but I don't, like, I mean, this is a classic, you know, not in my backyard uh, situation. Yeah, you know? NIMBY. And, no, but but I think my biggest problem with, with the turbines is not necessarily, um, well, take one step back. So things like wind shadow and, you know, uh, noise uh, pollution, that stuff should all be very quantifiable. So the idea, we know exactly what angle the sun comes at every day of every year in this area. And we know how tall those structures are supposed to be. So it should actually be much more detailed about here's how much wind shadow you can expect, you know, during this time of year when the sun is out, uh, for example. Although, of course, there's always wind shadow, even when there's not uh, direct sunlight. But so there was a lot of, you know, loose uh, description of those factors, which I, I found completely unsatisfying. It, it should have been much more detailed. Now, maybe it was deliberately kept vague uh, because the the, uh, the the co-op knows um, that that information is not as favorable as they would like it to be. But, um, but I think my, my biggest problem with the turbines is that they just don't have that much impact. Uh, you know, the, I understand the position that the Netherlands is in. Of course, this is the company or the country that was built on Shell. And we have, you know, there's probably a lot of guilt uh, in a lot of people's mind. Um, but the, the reality is that we only have about 15% uh, or so of our energy is coming from renewables right now. Um, we're actually buying more Russian gas this year than we were last year. It's not pipeline, but we're still getting uh, more liquefied gas than we ever. So there's a great deal of hypocrisy in this country about how sustainable they are. And so I understand the, the pressure to, to kind of do things better. But um, wind is just, you know, ironically in, in the Netherlands, wind is not that, that great an option. Um, it could be if it was done at scale, perhaps, um, but that that was not what this project was about. So uh, I just don't think it was um, very worthwhile. And and I do think it's interesting that, um, you know, as it turned out, because of the um, complications of parliamentary 
democracy and the idea that we have many political parties uh, in the Netherlands and the you know the the lower house, the House of Representatives, uh, so to speak, uh, is is an interesting mix right now of the the you know parties and coalition there, and um, that is of course a different mix of political parties than what you have in the province. You know, so in in North Holland. Uh, it's a different mix, uh, so you have that complication. But as much as I appreciate the work that some of the neighbors did in leading this effort, I think ultimately the only reason that things have gone the way they have here is because of the political situation in the Netherlands right now anyway. With the, you know, there's elections coming up next week. Um, the, the party that's been in power for about 376 years now uh, is, you know, has had to go into coalition with more and more parties. And there's a, a single woman who started a party that has really shaken things up. Uh, people are very afraid of her, I think, and what she might represent. And so I think she and her party has had a disproportionate effect um, on politics uh, recently. And, and I think we're, we're benefiting from that. But it wouldn't have happened without the efforts of uh, the neighbors. But I think ultimately, in a different political climate, even with what our, our neighbors did, it, it wouldn't have worked out. Yeah, so. I think, I mean, again, that adds to the victory. Was there a little bit of luck there, too. And our neighbors were fully cognizant of that. They're like, yeah, the political co- climate's changing, yeah. so we can use this to our advantage. Just the timing came in in combination with persuading these guys by inviting them into their homes, like, hey, guys, you know, swing your vote our way. Yep. It all just came together so beautifully. Yep. Um, going back to what you were saying about the political will of our opposition to push these wind turbines through, mm-hmm. politically, I mean, they need they need to prove their worth. So this is this would have been an achievement for them, not a victory. Like, look what I did. I'm in the, you know, the Green Party and I was able to successfully install, you know, renewable energy in the Netherlands yep. and helped us get closer to this this goal of, you know, re- these renewable energy targets. Achievement. Yep. This was an ach- achievement for them that they did not reach, and it's a victory for us. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, we were when we were talking to the main one of the main uh, neighborhood leaders yesterday, and we we're like, "Tell us everything," because they were in the room, and mm-hmm. you know, he was telling us everything that was happening in the room, and it was really exciting. I mean, really, somebody needs to make a little, you know, uh, Netflix movie about this. And, yeah. Uh, it was so much fun. Well, he's a documentary filmmaker. He yeah. Be. Well, he was saying that it, this is now this brings up the, you know, the purity test issue. So mm. in, in hypocrisy in anything that's, you know, sociopolitically um, benevolent or altruistic, if you, you know, bang that drum too loudly, then everybody's going to be looking at you seeing where else in your life you're maybe no sustainable. And he brought up a rather amusing story where some friends of his own a and b and they're all yeah, hardcore yeah. about their nature B&B, and it's all sustainable and renewable, yeah. and, oh, they don't fly, and, you know, their yeah. cars are EV, and we're, you know, we just eat... Um, right. Mashed yeast. Mashed and, yeast yeah. and, you know, earthworms from the backyard. Yeah. He's like, yeah, but it's a and b So how many people are flying right. into the Netherlands right. to stay at your residence? Like, oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You, you've got, you've just, you got to temper that. Yeah. And um, 
do you require that your guests show their green credentials before exactly. you let them stay before with you? Before you take their yeah. green money? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Funny. Yeah. Um, all right. So. Good. Now it feels good. feels good to feel victorious when there was so much at stake. Flawless. Our home life. Our home yeah. life. And we were able to protect it, at least for now. And I'll take it. It feels good. Homes where you hang your hat or something. Uh, homelessness is a lifestyle choice, says uh, Sue Albright. I guess well, th- that's a different story. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Jack Kerouac, who um, I don't think he's seen all of the, the thick of it, but anybody out there who has never seen the thick of it, which is yep. now like over 20 years old. I just can't believe it. it. Can't, it's not even funny anymore because all that fiction <laughs> has become reality. Right. All of it. I mean, there's even a a bit where where one of the ministers was, you know, got in trouble because there was like a homeless guy that killed himself. And he says, well, he was homelessness only in the fact that he had no home. (laughs) This was this was written into a comedy script. And now it's reality. Well, but that's where I'm not going to defend her. But that's where uh, the the idea that homelessness is a lifestyle choice, that that statement is has some meaning if you're in a country that has, you know, a good system of shelters and that you are genuinely offering someone, you know, a place to stay. If rather than being in that place that is offered, you are setting up, you know, a tent uh, near a, a blackberry bramble, that's, you know, that is demonstrating uh, some sort of choice. Now, of course, the you know, uh, economic and social circumstances that led them to make that choice to, you know, whether to stay in a tent uh, outside or in a a relatively safe homeless shelter. That's a whole different issue. But, you know, ultimately, it is kind of a choice for some people. Now, can there be genuine choice when, uh, I mean, back in the day, we talked about this before, um, the only homeless people they were all crazy, right? That, I mean, that, that was the defining characteristic. Sure. No, and, and, and yes, that sounds cruel, but that, that was the reality, that <laughs> things were not quite uh, firing uh, correctly there in the old synapse department. Um, but, uh, and now I guess the argument would be that, you know, they're all either crazy or, you know, on drugs or something. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. It's a complicated issue for sure. What is that term? All I could think of is manifest destiny. And that's not it. Where there are certain circumstances where a government can usurp your legally owned property. Yep. What is that called? Eminent domain. Eminent domain. Yep. Thank yep. you. Eminent domain. I wonder if eminent domain exists here because sometimes if somebody wants to build tur- wind turbines sure. or a highway over your property, you get paid. Sometimes you get paid a lot. But usually you don't get but paid. But usually you don't get paid. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it exists. Look, we just saw, and this is not uh, unprecedented. So uh, I believe it's Belgium and uh, Germany and France already have these systems in place. So... Um, any streaming service, video on demand streaming services that are offered in the Netherlands. So, you know, I'm talking to you, Netflix and Prime. Uh, you are now required to spend a minimum of 5% of your Dutch revenues on producing Dutch 
content. Um, so yeah, there's a very strong arm approach to uh, governance here. So yeah, the, I you don't have the same protections in many cases that you would in the U.S. against the the government uh, seizing uh, your property and or just you know pushing you out with a uh, a small check and a pat on the back, you know, kind of thing. So no, you that sort of thing happens here. The uh, they're going to put a highway through my backyard. Um, yeah. A digital highway. Sure. But my family's lived here for three generations. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So um, so when are you going to be out? Yeah. Actually, we're going to tell you when you're going to be out. <laughs> oh, so you're saying you have three generations of stuff to move out. All right, well, we'll give you a little more time. Yeah. Um, all right, that's all. All right. Thank Peace you. Peace out. Yo, thank See you. you. Let's go clean the kitchen. Oof. Yeah. Yep.